it hand clap of praise. We are so delighted to have each of you here, and I take this opportunity to welcome you this morning to High Point Church. What a privilege it is to be in the presence of the Lord. My, didn't Brother David just do a outstanding, awesome job in our adult class this morning. I was very refreshed by that teaching, and a good job. I appreciate it. I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday for Father's Day. Bishop Goldsberry will be preaching next Sunday morning in my absence. As I and the lovely, gracious First Lady are going to be out of town. And uh, so we invite you to be here next Sunday for that. And I know Bishop is going to do a bang-up job when he gets up here to preach. And uh, so we encourage you to be here for that. I invite your attention this morning to James chapter 5. Again, we welcome each of you, James chapter 5, and it is my intention to be brief this morning. I know I say that a lot, it doesn't work out too often, but <clears throat> we did enjoy last night, I snuck in here late, I had some things going on at home that really had me occupied, and first thing I knew I was racing around trying to get things put away, trackers in the yard, trailers in the yard, tools everywhere, never ends, never ends. There's a way up when life gets you down. How many of you ever had life get you down? If you haven't, hang on a while, it will. There's a way up when life gets you down. James writes in verse number 15 through 18, Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective, everybody say that word effective. Your Bible might read effectual, same word. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Oh, I like that. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah. Now, James here steps back in history. He steps back long before his time, and he pulls out a man an individual, biblical individual, to demonstrate what he's talking about. He said Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Obviously, back in that day, they lie along like, like us, had a tendency to look at these Bible heroes and these patriarchs of old as something out of the ordinary. James says, nope, understand, he's a man with a nature just like ours. He had his good days. He had his bad days. He had his up days. He had his down days. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your wondrous presence that we feel here. 
among your saints, among this congregation today. Lord, as we come to this appointed time of the service and the ministry of your word through preaching, I pray that you will help me to step out of the way and become transparent before you and this congregation and allow you to use these lips and this vessel as an instrument for your purpose, for your glory, and for your edification of the body of Christ today. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth with anointing, authority, and power, and we would receive it under the anointing of your precious and sweet Holy Spirit, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Would you look at someone close by you and tell them there's a way up when life gets you down. And you may be seated. Before a... How many have ever found yourself on overload? I've come to the place where I'm trying to find days when I'm not on overload. They're getting far and few between. <laughs> Before a violin can produce music, it's important to note that stress must be put on the strings. You put them strings on there and you tune them up to the, to the appropriate note, the appropriate key that they're to be tuned to, and and, uh, but before it can produce any music, it must, them strings must be taunt. It's the same thing with any stringed instrument. If you would come up here and look in this grand piano sitting up here, you would find that those strings are taunt in there, and they're, they're adjusted just right to make the right sound. And, but the problem is, if you go too far, in fact, one time I was here, and the, the piano tuner was here tuning the piano, he went too far. Bing! That thing shot out of there like a... We've been in service before and had that happen. And all at once, the string just come calling out of that thing. But if you pull them too tightly, they're going to snap. There's days we all feel like that violin string has been pulled way too tight. The same is true with we humans. Enough stress gets the juices flowing and helps us do what needs to be done. How many of y'all work good under pressure? I do a little bit. I do a little better under pressure, but too much pressure now I don't do so good. But if we get beyond that point, what'll happen is we'll snap. In fact, Brother Mooney, for those of you who not, do, may not know Brother Mooney, he's the Indiana District Superintendent for the United Pentecostal Church International. He was preaching a conference one time, and he said, "You know." I learned that we humans don't know what we're capable of till we're pushed beyond our limits. He tells a story about how he was standing in the checkout line at Walmart one day, waiting on his turn, and there's this young man in front of him, and he's just giving this cashier down the road. He's calling her every name in the book, and it, what the issue was not even her fault whatsoever. And Brother Mooney goes on to say, this guy, I mean, he just gives her down the road, throws his stuff all over her, and starts to walk out the door. He gets to the door, and he turns around, he comes back, and he goes at her again, and lets her have it some more, and he starts out again, and he comes back for the third time. Brother Mooney said, finally, I snapped. He said, I stepped up to that young man, got right in his face, and told him, if you say one more word to that cashier, I'm going to grab you by the head and snatch it off. 
He said, I'll bounce you out of here like a rubber ball. <laughs> Brother Mooney said, I don't know what I'd done if that boy pulled a gun out. Now, Brother Mooney's a pretty big, big man. He said, I didn't know that was in me. He said, I would. And he is. If you know Brother Mooney, he's a very, very relaxed, very calm man, very... But we don't know what we're capable of until we get to the snapping point. Someone once quipped, once quipped, you know you're on overload when you've no more time to cook a TV dinner, the cat's on tranquilizers, and family reunions have to be mediated by law enforcement. Now that's overload. Seriously now, before it gets to that point, there's a couple of things that we can do. First and foremost, we need to ask for help. That's what the body of Christ is all about. During Hurricane Katrina, I found this interesting. Eight dolphins were swept out of their aquarium into the sea, but because they stuck together, they were rescued. Now, had they tried to go it alone, they would have perished. When we're alone, when we're alone too much, we have a tendency to lose perspective. Amen? If the enemy can isolate you, he can influence you. So God has designed His family to stay connected. Or as Paul so aptly stated in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's the way God has designed the body of Christ. The second thing is we need to get real with God. Brother Dave done such a tremendous job illustrating that this morning in his adult Bible class. There's times we just need to get real with God. When we're angry, we need to tell him we're angry. Oh, Pastor, you mean you've been angry at God? No, absolutely. We need to just tell him exactly the way we feel. Job did. You heard Brother David illustrate that. You see, under stress, the surge of negative emotions can be overwhelming. And unless you unburden your soul before Jesus Christ, at some point you're going to explode. And you'll generally explode at the wrong people. It'll be that sweet and lovely spouse that takes the blunt of it, or one of the children, or I guess that could be vice versa of the... the other part of that spouse thing. but Those negative emotions can be overwhelming and unless we unburden your, you unburden your soul before Jesus Christ, you'll explode. And it will always, generally always be at the wrong people. We're living in very strenuous times. I talk to folks every day that they're just on the brink of self-destruction. They're on the brink of utter emotional collapse for various reasons. I just talked to a, a man this past Friday, one of, our, one of our supervisors. He doesn't work under me, but he's from another area and telling me that he, he's retired from, from a large telecommunication corporation. He's working for us now, and he lost nearly $140,000 in the last two years in his retirement stocks alone. 
He said, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to retire. He said, I had it all set up. And you could tell from his conversation that, that the weight and the emotion and the strain, but there's a way up when life gets us down. Amen. You see, the psalmist addresses this when he wrote in Psalms 55 and 22, Cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Now, David just wasn't blurting out fair speeches and fine words. He was saying this because he knew it experientially. Then the psalmist also declared in Psalm 62 and 8, Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Just David said, just get out there and get before Him and say it like it is. You're not going to surprise Him. He already knows. You can try to camouflage what's going on in your head with fair speech and fine words all you want. But He knows what's going on in there. We might as well just lay it out on the table and say, here it is. I don't understand this, that, one thing, another. You see, it's no mere coincidence that many of the Psalms start out with the psalmist crying out to God for help and end up with Him rejoicing because He vented His pinned-up frustrations. There's nothing wrong with you getting on your face before God and pounding your fist on the floor and saying, I don't understand. I'm living, I'm doing right, I'm living, I'm, I've done everything you've asked me to do. Well, Elijah found himself in that place. Believe it or not, the great one of the greatest prophets in biblical history. Prophet Elijah. You see, there are times in life when we all feel, as they say, just down. However, in my oh-so-humble opinion, God's Word shows us the way to get back up. Amen. And as we read, in, as I read in our opening passages today, the great prophet Elijah, who was just like us, got so far down, he wanted to die. He said, I want this to end. I've had it. But, Pastor, he, my goodness, he just had called fire down from heaven and slayed all of those false prophets, turned Israel to God in a revival like no other revival they had ever known. How could he even feel that way? Well, follow me for a moment. There are several things I'd like for you to pay particular attention to as we consider where Elijah found himself. First of all, it happened on the heels of a great victory. Imagine that. Elijah didn't start out in doldrums and he didn't fall into sin. He just called fire down from heaven. He's slain 450 false prophets. If you haven't read about that recently, go to 1 Kings chapter 18 and you're... Not, not now, okay? Uh, when, you, when you get home and, and, and read about it. However, I've got to tell you, that would be some hard work. Now, preaching and teaching is hard work. 
for those of you who may not know, it's, it's hard. In fact, studies have indicated that one hour or 45 minutes to one hour of preaching or teaching is equivalent to about seven hours of hard labor. Now, I didn't do that study, so I don't know. Uh, I, I, can tell you, I can tell you when I get done on Sunday mornings, I go home exhausted. Mentally, more so than physically. That's the way it is. So, that was hard work. Now, not only did he preach and not only did he go through all that and call fire down from heaven, that prepared all that sacrifice, got all that wood. You know, I mean, it was, it was a big ordeal. You, you'll see it when you read it. So he went from ex acceleration to exhaustion. Weary, defenses down, vulnerability up. He fell into a natural depression because fatigue strips us of our courage. Fatigue will strip you of your courage. The next thing I want you to notice is this. Fear, now, now this, this, is, this exhaustion, this weariness took, and his, and his defenses and vulnerability were such that he fell into depression and it strips us of our courage. So, because his courage was gone, fear caused Elijah to lose perspective. You see, this man of God who had just faced down an evil multitude ended up running from one woman. Now, gentlemen, I'm not going there, so don't... Don't give me that look. Oh, boy, he's on it now. Go. No, I ain't going there. This one woman, Jezebel. And you know how... You, you'll see when you read it what she told, what the word message she sent to, to Elijah. I'm coming after you, pal. You might as well just get yourself ready because I'm coming head hunting. And your head's going to be on charger, sitting on my mantle. So get ready. You see, fear made him forget God's power. He was tired. His defenses were gone. He was vulnerable. His courage was gone. And his perspective was gone. And simply on the word of this Jezebel, Fear made him forget God's power. Now, I know from our perspective, looking back in hindsight, we would think, how in the world could a man have just done what he'd done, forget about all that God had just done, and that he called fire down from heaven? You would think he'd have just wanted to march into town and say, Jezebel, here I am. What's on your mind? Not at that point. It skewed his perspective and left him feeling suicidal. Oh, yeah. Exhaustion coupled with fear is a dangerous combination. And we're going to see it more and more as the strain and stress of society continues to just mount and mount and mount. It invites hopeless wrong thinking and creates the illusion that our options are gone. How many of you have been to that point and you just, you, you, you just looked at your situation and your, your dilemma and you said, the options are gone. It's, uh, it's over. Oh, yeah. If you've not been there yet, you will. Boy, I know that's about as encouraging as it gets, isn't it? But that's life. 
The next thing I want you to notice is he became isolated. Look at what Elijah done. And I have all, I've never ceased to have been amazed in my years in ministry, and there's been a couple, that oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes when children of God get into trouble, not necessarily on their own volition, not necessarily because of something they've done wrong, but when they get under this kind of pressure, this, this situation is they have a tendency to run away from the source of help instead of running to it. It's always kind of stumped me. But he became isolated. Elijah left his servant at Beersheba, and he journeyed into the wilderness alone. Now, if there is one thing I have learned about we humans, and that is this. When we most need support, anxiety, a sense of inadequacy, and fear of failure will push us into isolation. Amen. So you're not weird if that's the way you have felt from time to time. Amen. At that point, we're in the worst possible company, and that's our own devices and our own thoughts. We're our own worst enemy. Amen? Elijah thought, in fact, he told God this, and we'll come back to this here in a minute. He said, you know, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that cares. I'm the only one preaching truth. Oh, yeah. He said, I'm the only one that really is concerned about what's happened to our nation, our country, our people. And now they're trying to kill me. Does that not sound familiar to a lot of our tirades that we go into? Please don't. I'm not saying this in a critical fashion. It's as normal as normal can be. Translated, it's bad, and I can't see it getting any better. That sounds a little more familiar to us, doesn't it? It's bad, and I can't see it getting any better anytime soon. When we're down, or when you're down, isn't time to be, to be isolated. That's when we need to reach for God and the people who love us and can help us back up. And that's when we need saints of God within the body and framework of Jesus Christ that will not be like Job's comforters. Look at me now when I say that that are not like Job's comforters and start finding all of that. Well, if you really love God, you wouldn't feel that way. I've heard that speech about one too many times in my life in the ministry. And probably anybody else tries that now, they're going to get a... They, well, they'll probably get a part of my mind I can't spare. That that's when we as God's people need to be uplifting and encouraging and understanding that we all have those days. And we need, the, we need to reach for God and the people who love us and can help us back up. From time to time, I need help back up. 
We all do. Amen. It doesn't make you any less a person. It doesn't make you any less a child of God. It's just the fact there's times we need help up. So with all that being said, the question remains to be asked, and I'm going to ask it. What was God's prescription for getting Elijah back on his feet? Remember Paul wrote that all these things were written aforetime for our learning. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. So let's see what we can glean and grasp from Elijah's experience, understanding that he was just like you and I. If we were to meet Elijah today, uh, we'd see so many similarities. If he was to tell us about his life and the things he encountered and his ministry and so forth, we'd go, whoa, so much like us. So the question remains, what was God's prescription for getting Elijah back on his feet? How many might be interested in that prescription? Could it have been a lecture on the prophet's faltering faith? Nope. That's what you're thinking. You're wrong. God didn't pull Elijah to the side saying, look, if you really love me, Elijah, you can get your act straightened up. If you really had the Holy Spirit, Elijah, you wouldn't be acting the way you're acting. Oh, getting quiet now. No, actually, God's prescription was just rest and nourishment. Elijah, you just need to rest, pal. That's okay. I, I'm, you know, just rest and encourage. But you see, my friends, even when we don't, the Lord Jesus Christ recognizes our limitations. Amen. The Lord speaking to the prophet Isaiah declared this in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break. Oh, I like that. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. When there's nothing left of us but a little old flickering light, he's not going to reach out ah, and snuff us out. Amen? Now I know for many who I have encountered down through the years, especially among the circles I have traveled in, pushing yourself to unreasonable human limits has been viewed as a badge of honor. That's not what the Bible teaches. Amen? My friends, that's not what the Word of God teaches, to push ourselves beyond unreasonable human limits and view it as a badge of honor. Jesus found himself at times going off to pray for rest. Amen? Because, friend, it will mentally take you down. When we neglect our own legitimate needs, it shows up in our attitude. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ understands that being down is a perspective problem. And getting back up requires adjustment in at least four areas that I've recognized as I studied this. So, first of all, he adjusted Elijah's God perspective. Here's what I mean by that. 
Get in the presence of God and He'll meet with you. Amen. And you can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 19 where he met with Elijah after this whole ordeal. The one who gave Elijah victory on Mount Carmel could also sustain him in the desert of Jezreel. Amen. I'm going to say that again. The one who gave Elijah victory on Mount Carmel could also sustain him in the desert of Jezreel. The God who gives us victories from time to time and time and time again will be the one who will sustain us in our valleys of Jezreel. However, first and foremost, Elijah had to spend time with him. Otherwise, he was running on an empty tank. Amen? The second thing is, God adjusted Elijah's world perspective. When Elijah had run and hid in the cave, God came and asked him this question. Hey, Elijah. And read your Bible now. He done it in the stall, still small voice. He didn't scream at Elijah. He didn't grab him by the nab of his neck or by the suspenders of his coveralls and get him up in his face and scream at him. He whispered. Do a little, do a little word research on that. He whispered, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Elijah's response to God went like this. Brother Dave was talking about him so aptly, so we just need to go before God and here it is. Here was what Elijah told God in, in, verses, in chapter 19, verse 14 from the NIV. He said, I've been very zealous. In other words, I've just put the pedal to the metal. I have given this thing, I, I've, I've, I've given this ministry everything, God, there is to give. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I haven't held anything back. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I, he would just, he just laid it all out there saying, here's the way I see it, God. And I've been zealous. I've given it my all. I've been in that pulpit every time. I've done exactly what you've asked me to do. I've give, I've, I've give more than the tenth. I've given everything I've given till it hurts. And I've been zealous for you, Lord God Almighty. And now, the, now look at these Israelites. They've rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. Now they will try to kill me. So let, let, listen to me now. Here's the thing. And I'm almost done. In fact, if we're going to have a little worship, musicians better hurry. <laughs> well, we're going to be giving a benediction going. <laughs> Sorry for the short notice. Don't these folks do an awesome job? I tell you, they have me ruined. Here's the thing, folks. God revealed to Elijah that he still had the necessary resources and strategies to accomplish his purposes, even in a hostile environment. Listen to me now. 
I know as a church, as Christians, as born-again believers, we are seeing a very hostile environment being raised up against us. I'm just telling you like it is. I have never seen a society based on Judeo-Christian principles and beliefs turn on the very foundation that it was established on like I have in this country in the last 10, 15 years. Which brings new meaning to the time my father told me many years ago as I began in the ministry. Son, you haven't seen anything yet. You just wait. Those words forever echo in the corridors of my mind. But listen, God revealed to Elijah that he still had the necessary resources and strategies to accomplish his purposes, even in a hostile environment. God still has the resources. Do you hear me? God still has the resources to accomplish his purposes, even in this hostile environment in which we live. Egypt could not touch Israel down in Goshen. Nor did any of the plagues. Because of God's provision. Now, here's the next thing. God adjusted Elijah's self-perspective. You see, the prophet saw himself as helpless and inadequate. How many of you ever found yourself feeling that way? But I, I, You know, I do from time to time. Now, I realize Paul said that we're not to think more of ourselves than we ought to think, more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I understand that, and we all understand that principle. But there's times when we just, we see, we find ourselves helpless and inadequate, you know. And we know that as a result of Elijah's prayer, which he prayed, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Although he had been used of God in a mighty way, he comes to the point where he says, Lord, I'm just... Just take my life. I'm, I'm no better than my ancestors. However, in the final analysis, God revealed to Elijah, Hey, buddy, you still have kings to anoint. You still have battles to win. And Elijah, you have an important role to play in God's endeavor. It's not over yet, pal. It's not over till I say it's over. Now, we may think it's about over from day to day, from time to time. We may look at all of this business going on and think, whoo, this thing's coming to a screen. No, no, no. It's not over till God himself says it's over. And last, God provided a helper. God sent Elisha to Elijah. You see, we're not supposed to carry this ministry alone. Go like this. We're not supposed to carry this ministry alone. It's important to allow yourself to need help. I need help. I need your help. 
I need your prayers. I need your constant support and encouragement. We need it. All of us need it from one another. Amen? And when we do that, watch and see who God puts in your life to support you and to support the ministry. Would you stand? There is, there's a way up when life gets you down. Let's worship for a few moments before we dismiss.